Thanks, Dan. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, that's crackly. I'll carry, I'll carry on. We'll see how we go. Um, this morning, it is my great pleasure to be opening up this new series entitled Devoted. And we're going to be looking at a wonderful piece of scripture from the end of Acts chapter 2. The ones of you that were still up here earlier heard a sneak practice as I checked my mic. Um, But when the oak first planted what is now 11 years ago, this was a crucial piece of scripture to us. Our church now looks very different in our makeup to how it did then as a little huddle of 20 of us first beginning to gather. But our focus for what it means for us to be the church remains the same. And we find it in this piece of scripture. Here we find the blueprints for the first church, built upon the things that please God the most. Acts 2 describes these rhythms of activity that God calls us to engage in as part of being his family here on earth. They're the rhythms of up, in, and out that we teach here as a church, up to God, in as we are being transformed together in community and out to the world in mission. And this first church was led by Peter. He was at the helm. And Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. He's someone that had learned what it meant to be discipled directly from Jesus. Peter had seen Jesus do the miraculous. He'd learned from him. He'd watched him die upon the cross and then seen him resurrected back to life. Peter knew that Jesus is the saviour of the world, the Messiah. Now, originally he was called Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter, meaning the rock, as in you are the rock that I am going to build my church upon. But this Peter was also a fisherman, and anybody that knows anybody that fishes knows that all of them have a story that involves doing this a lot. It was this big. They have these great fisherman tales. And I'm going to tell you three of Peter's biggest fishing wins, okay? First story we find in Luke 5. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter before his name got changed, put out into the deeper part and let down your nets for a catch. Master, replied Simon, we were working hard all night and caught nothing at all. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did so, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the another boat to come and help them. So they came and they filled both the boats, but they began to sink. Such was the haul. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Go away, he said. Leave me, Lord, I'm a sinner. He and all his companions were gripped with amazement at the catch of fish they'd taken. This included James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Don't be afraid, said Jesus to Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. They brought the boats in, abandoned everything, and followed him. Okay, story one. Jesus' request is met with a little bit of cynical reluctance, but Peter's obedient, and Jesus performs the miraculous. Story number two. After Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, Peter is feeling 
a bit lost and a bit trapped in shame, and he's back out on his fishing boat again. And we find this account in John 21. Jesus called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net over the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Second time round, quick to act, met with bounty. Third story. Now, this is the one that we had last week. Pentecost. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, Peter flings out his net again. Only this time, we're in Acts chapter 2, and he's preaching He's obedient to Jesus' call on his life, and he shares the gospel, and it results in thousands coming to faith and joining the church. He's been expectant for God to move, to fulfill that promise of making him a fisher of men. He's been living out that rhythm up, in, and out. In Matthew 4, Jesus' words are, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Up, come and follow. In, I'm going to make you and transform you. Out, fishes. Now stuck. We'll go with this one instead. Out, fishes of men. Out on mission. This is the catch that Peter has been waiting for. And he needs to make sure that his net is strong enough to hold the bounty that God is going to put in it. Here we find the church equipped for growth and attractive to people. Here we find strong nets to hold this hall of new believers that have been welcomed into God's family. So if you're ready, let's get to our passage, because this is what these strong nets look like. Acts 2, verse 42, it's up behind me. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And there's a danger in our modern society that we slip into thinking that these basic building blocks just aren't exciting enough. We love innovation and new and shiny. And we know that all these things are important, but maybe they don't excite us the way they should. But if that's the case, we need the Holy Spirit to shake us up because this is the stuff to get excited about. This is what it means to know God. These aren't the we-would-like-to-have activities. These are the core practices at the heart of being a faith community. These are the strong net strategy for healthy communities in God. 
Because if we win people through this kind of community, one that prays and worships and moves in signs and wonders, and it's radical in its social justice, and it's honoring scripture and God's word, and most centrally, loving Jesus and putting Jesus at the heart of everything as we follow, then we add people to this pattern of discipleship that can't be anything but outward focused. That's why the strapline for this series is the rhythms of Christian community on mission. These are the rhythms of being fellow workers with God in kingdom living and action. They're how the Spirit enables us to join in God's mission to see the world transformed through Jesus' power to change lives. And we do that by loving God, loving his family, and loving his world. Maybe we could say being devoted to God, devoted to his family, and devoted to his world. But for any of you who've gone, okay, so now there's another list to crack on with. If we do this, plus this, plus this, then that equals, we will have people added to us daily. Then beware. We don't want to get legalistic here. That's why we need the spirit at work in us to help us hear this challenge, not as one that sucks the life out of us like a Harry Potter Dementor, but one that breathes life into us. There's a key word that is involved here, and it's the one that stops it being about going through the motions. Francis Chan said, in our impatient culture, we want to experience biblical awe without biblical devotion. So today, we're looking at what it means to be a people devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, if we were to look in the Collins Dictionary, we find three definitions for devoted. The first one, someone who is devoted to a person loves that person very much, a loving, devoted husband. If you're devoted to something, you care a lot about it and are very enthusiastic about it. I've personally been devoted to this cause for many years. If we're devoted to a thing, something is devoted to a particular thing, it deals only with that thing or contains only that thing, like a major touring exhibition devoted to young artists. What would it look like for us to strip away all of the distractions and devote ourselves to scripture? Well, I believe that that would look like this church being equipped with a power that we have never seen before. Because devotion comes from love. It comes from this rich knowledge that God is for us. He's not against us. That God's grace is always more powerful than our sin. And grace, possibly the most important word any of us will ever read or hear. That we can live forgiven and free. That knowledge needs to infiltrate our heart. It needs to be in you and therefore flowing out of you. Because his grace is this. It's God's unmerited favor on you. He doesn't love you because you did something to deserve it. And he's not going to stop loving you because you stuff up. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you. It's not a superficial love, it's the ultimate love. And if we get this, if we get this as the foundation of our life, it changes everything. It transforms us, it's Jesus' power to change lives. 
It's a thing that unites every single one of us here. It's the wanting, needing, seeking out this grace thing and wanting to live in the freedom that it affords us. But the only place that this grace is found is in him. And when we get this grace, we understand who we are and we also understand whose we are. And then we get the joy of extending that to others. We just can't help it. So how do we get it? How do we get to know him? One important way that we get to know him is through his word. There's no other book in history that has sold more copies or been more scrutinized than the Bible. In fact, 66 books, not just one, but there's one core message. And it's been written by a host of people from kings to fishermen, from doctors to prophets. And it's got loads of different genres too. There's narrative and poetry and history. There's the prophetic. There's a whole host of letters. There's lots of apocalyptic writings. But what it tells us is about God's dealings with humanity. And that's about a love relationship. There'll be stuff in there that we will need to work through and we'll need to wrestle with. It's sometimes a little bit like solving Sudoku. Some of those squares you just can't fill in. You can't, for love and the money, work out what goes there. But you start piecing in some of the other bits around it and suddenly the puzzle becomes clear. So we get to know Jesus more. We get to understand the scripture more. You know, the Bible tells us even Peter found some of Paul's, some of Paul's stuff pretty hard to understand. He told us that in one of his letters. So we're in good company if we're struggling, but... God wants relationship. He loves for us to kind of get stuck in and engage with his word. He doesn't want robotic compliance. But these stories all build on one another and they point to Jesus, God's great rescue plan. And then the following parts tell us all about what it means to live in the light of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. So the purpose of scripture is this. It tells us in Romans 10 verse 17, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. When we encounter God in his word, it builds faith in us that our God has a best for us. We sang it earlier. He's a good, good father. He wants to father us. Us coming to really know him is what's at the heart of all of this. He wants us to know our part in his big story because it's a story of hope and it's a story about relationship and it's a story about purpose and it's a story about restoration. This is why we value as a church being a spirit-filled people who engage with God's word and leading. But are you living this? Is it flowing from you? Let's look at what this practically looks like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, it means developing a love for the scriptures, something the Holy Spirit helps us with. The apostles taught the good news about Jesus and how to follow him. They taught the Old Testament scriptures and how Jesus fulfilled them and how we can read them with Jesus as our lens. They wrote an awful lot of letters between them that we can find filling the New Testament. And in one of those, we find Paul writing this letter to the Ephesians. And I'm going to read a chunk of it from the message to you where he describes our place in God's kingdom. 
He says, this kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Well, there's much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the, prof- the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, and now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it take shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Our part is building on the foundations that the apostles set for us. So let's hear something from John. He's just finished writing his gospel and has flung in a line about, there's so much more stuff. I wish I could cram it in here, but I just didn't have space for it. But then it comes to this verse, verse 31. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John 20, 31. For anyone concerned that God's word is dry or suffocating, well, listen up to John. It brings life, not death. It brings freedom, not restriction. God loves you and has a plan for you. This word will lead you to a savior that will change your life. David Suchet is perhaps most famous for playing Poirot. And he came to faith in a hotel room in the States when he developed a sudden impulse to read the Bible. And as he read, he began to put his faith in Christ. And he said this, from somewhere, I got the desire to read the Bible again. That's the most important part of my conversion. I started with Acts of the Apostles. Then I moved to Peter's letters, Romans and Corinthians. And it was only then I came to the Gospels. In the New Testament, I suddenly discovered the way that life should be followed. And now he voices an audio Bible, and loads of people hear his voice speaking the voice of God to them as they come to discover God for themselves too. You see, he discovered that there's power in the word of God. He discovered that the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It tells us that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Do we believe this? Do we expect the word of God to have powerful impact on us and our world? That his word has the power to pierce through all of our defenses and get straight through to our hearts because there's power in this word of God. Paul, again, writing to Timothy later about the uh, godlessness of his current society, said these words, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's God breathed. He has spoken. He is speaking his word. This is for us. 
And Paul says it's here to lead you to God and to help you to know him, but also to transform you into his likeness, equipping you so that other people get to know God too. Now, don't mishear this and be like, oh, so what you're basically saying is, God says I have to change and then he'll love me. No, God loves you just as you are. But the wonderful thing about God is he loves you too much to leave you as you are. So the Holy Spirit sets about a work in you. And looking back through that passage, it's teaching. So it's for our learning, it's rebuking, which means it's going to show us where we're in danger by the way that we're living. And it's going to warn us to change by convicting us of that sin. It's going to correct us, which means it brings us back onto that right path. And it's going to train us in righteousness, restorative justice, God's best for this world as his kingdom rolls out. But the spirit of God will help us to grow in this. It will help us to live out the kingdom as we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. The good works are going to flow from us as this word invades our heart. And how do you spot someone that loves scripture? Well, I'm prepared to put money on the fact they're probably not bashing you with it. They're just loving you really well. This word has authority because God has authority over our lives. You know, it's one thing to ignore authority when it's instructions about flat pack and we're like, oh, Ikea is not the boss of me. I can do this and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm just going to put out that I am a total check. You've got all the pieces, Ikea person. Gareth, not so much. But it's one thing when it comes to building flat pack, whatever that looks like in your household. You know, the worst that's going to happen, you're going to get a wonky cupboard or you might have to sack it off and do something else with it. It's another thing when this is about the designer of your life, when this is about the authority for your life or the lives of your kids or those that you love. We don't want to choose to live under the wrong authority because we'll all live under some authority. We might live under the authority of culture. You know, this is what other people say or do, so I'll kind of go along with that. We might live under the authority of tradition. This is the way my parents did it. We might live under the authority of our feelings, like, oh, this feels right, so I'll go with it, or my experience tells me this is probably the right thing to do. But the only one who really makes life work is God, because he's the good father who knows us and loves us, and is full of wisdom for us. He wants to bring us into his great big love story, because it's the blueprint by which we find life in all its fullness. And when we filter by God's authority, then actually culture and feelings and experience can offer loads of valuable stuff because we get it with his lens. And maybe the flat pack thing wasn't the most helpful illustration because the Bible isn't a manual because it's interactive. God has spoken and he continues to speak. It's not just something that we study. It's something that we embody. I mean, it's that word that Faye brought earlier. It's about as feeding on God's word, as ingesting it. It shows us how to enter relationship with him and hear his truth spoken over us. Which is why we mustn't get that message of just graft harder and study more today. In John 5, Jesus confronts the Pharisees who knew an awful lot about God's word. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you find eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me 
and have life. He's saying, my issue isn't that you don't read the scriptures, you read them a lot, but you don't find me in them, and therefore they're not breathing life into you. Galatians 5 offers up a similar warning. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's saying, don't fall into the trap of making it about you and your effort and your achievement. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. But the hope for us, verse 5, for though, uh, through the Spirit, we eagerly await the faith. Sorry, for through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The purpose of engaging with Scripture is to meet with God so that he lives and breathes in you. Martin Luther said, Scripture is the manger or the cradle in which the infant Jesus lies. Don't let us inspect the cradle and forget to worship the baby. And later he says, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet and it runs to me, it has hands and it lays hold of me. Let us seek the Holy Spirit's help to worship the baby. The Holy Spirit helps us, Jesus tells us in John's gospel, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The word cannot accept him, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And later again, uh, John chapter 14, it says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. It's the Holy Spirit at work in us that equips us. So then the next bit comes down to us. Will we trust it? Will we trust scripture for our decisions, for our circumstances, even when they don't look like what we wanted? As we read the Bible and we encounter Jesus, will we trust the promises that God speaks over us? As we spend time with him, will we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us more and more into his likeness? We're going to look at one last tiny bit of scripture uh, before we respond. But Psalm 1 says these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I mean, we're the oaks, so we love a passage about trees. But this is about delighting in God's word. And what does it tell us? It tells us that we produce fruit. And Galatians tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Spending time in God's word helps God to grow that stuff in us. The passage tells us that leaves don't wither. Delighting in God's word equips us for the long haul. It gives us the strength to persevere in our walk with God. It keeps us staying close to the Lord and his word, being rooted in relationship with him, not dependent on those occasional moments of incredible revelation or in feeling that emotion of incredible closeness. Those things are amazing and they're so important to our story. But this is about building relationship and knowing God through his word. They help us to withstand the challenging seasons of life because we're constantly sucking up water through those roots. The water of life fills us. And the word of God also defends us from spiritual attack. We had the kids up earlier telling us about what it means to be clothed in God's armor. Well, Jesus himself, when he was tempted just before beginning his ministry, quotes scripture. Every temptation he quotes from Deuteronomy between chapter 6 and 8. That's his response. The word of God equips us. And thirdly from this passage, we will prosper. Now, our lives probably aren't going to look like material prosperity. I hate to tell you this. This kind of isn't God's gig. But what it does mean is that we are going to prosper in the things of real, eternal value. And that is our relationship with God. That is in the transforming of our lives to look more like Jesus. And that's in our relationship with God's family and those outside of our family as we seek to love his world. So what are we going to take away from this morning? Well, that it's about investing in relationship, in a two-way thing of getting to know each other. So my challenge is let's set ourselves up for success this is about long-term investment of healthy rhythms, not a quick-fire thing. So pick a realistic goal for you. If you're not reading the Bible at all this morning and there's no judgment here, then aiming for an hour a day is probably unrealistic. Better to aim for a couple of minutes, a couple of verses regularly than a one-hour hit, one-hit wonder. But make a plan for it. Because we either prioritize our schedules or we schedule our priorities. Because we're busy. Book time in with God. If he's your priority, schedule him in. We make time for those that are important to us. And so quickly the distractions of life can nudge him out of the spot that's rightfully his. When we do get that time, ask the Spirit to help you. Ask God to speak. His word is living and active. He wants to encounter you and bring you deeper into relationship with him. If you've not been reading the Bible recently, I, I encourage you to start with the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give the story of who Jesus is. That frames the whole of the rest of scripture. And when you read those words, I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. What does it tell you about God what does it tell you about you and how are you going to apply it? Matthew 7 verse 24 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Be like that wise man. Build your life on this foundation. 
The way that you spend time with God might look different. You might go out for a walk. You might find a quiet space somewhere. You might want to meet with another believer. Maybe you'll jot down some thoughts in your phone or in a notebook. You might want to try an app. I really love the Lectio app. I find it really helpful. You might want to look at a Bible in a Year app. There's tons of things. Ask other people what works for them. Ask in community group. We want to be cheering each other on and encouraging one another in this. It might be you just want to stick a verse up where, you know, by sink where you're going to brush your teeth every day. And you're going to look at that and meditate on what it means to know God through it. And you know, guys, if you've got a wonderful relationship with God and you love encountering him in his word, how are you investing in keeping that passion going? How can you help to encourage others around you in that? Maybe it might be dropping something onto your community group WhatsApp that God's been speaking to you through. I'm going to pray for us as we um, respond and just think how God may be just wanting to stir our hearts this morning. Lord God, I thank you that you have life for us in all of its fullness that you plan for your scriptures to bring us to know you, that your purpose is in them for us to receive you as our king, that these things are written, that we might believe that you are the son of God, and that by believing we might have faith. You'll be bringing us into family. You'll be bringing us into wisdom. You'll be bringing us into what it means to know you more. Father, I thank you that your promise in your word in Isaiah tells me that as your word goes out from your mouth, it will not return to you empty. It will accomplish everything you desire and will achieve the purposes for which you send it out. So Holy Spirit, we pray. We invite you here. Come speak truth to our hearts. Come speak truth to our lives. Help us to live a life devoted. Give us love for your word when we just need to knuckle down a little in obedience and trust that you're going to meet us there and increase our joy give us the courage to take that step out with you we pray guard our hearts from legalism lord we pray help us to develop a love for your word that will help us to stand on that firm foundation that will build our house on a rock we pray bring us to life in all its fullness and gift us faith as we encounter you there lord we pray, Spirit, move amongst us in this time. Convict our hearts of anything that you want to place on them. And Lord, what if just of me, just blow away on the wind. Let that go to nothing. But if there's something of you that you want to plant deep, Lord, have your way in our lives, we pray. Amen. I'm going to hand back over to Emily and the band who have dutifully just popped back up behind me.